You are Locked On Cougars. This is your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Thanks for joining us on a Thursday edition of the show. A lot to get to like usual. Another great moment in BYU sports history. We're staying with football for today's great moment. We'll get to that on today's show as we look back at the 1997 Cotton Bowl and BYU's 14-1 uh, 1996 season. Just a magical year capped off by that win over Kansas State in the Cotton Bowl. We'll talk about that. We'll also get to to the, some of the news regarding name, image, and likeness with the NCAA, the Board of Governors, essentially approving new rules for players to endorse products and receive money for their name, image, or likeness. We'll talk about the fallout of that and what it could mean for BYU, as well as catching up on everything else going on in BYU sports news, like we usually do. Today's show brought to you by our good friends over at Talacris Plasma Resources. We'll tell you what they're offering our listeners here in just a little bit and how you guys can help those in need as well. But with that rundown out of the way, let's get it started here. This is Locked on Cougars for April 30th, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for taking the time to join us to talk BYU sports with us on this daily podcast, all focused on the Cougars. If you're new to the show, welcome on in. We aim to be your one-stop shop for all the BYU sports news you need to know about each and every day, as well as sharing insider information with you that you will not find anywhere else. So a big thank you to all of you who continue to support this show, make sure to hit that follow button on Spotify or the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. But regardless of wherever you're listening in from, make sure to follow along and never miss a daily episode of the podcast. Uh, starting off today's show, let's talk about some of the news that came out from the NCAA yesterday. The Board of Governors um, had their name, image, and likeness working group present to them their plans for the NCAA to allow athletes to benefit from their name, image, or likeness. So essentially, uh, allowing student-athletes to be paid or be compensated for their endorsement of products, etc. It's been a long time coming. Uh, obviously, the NCAA does not want to become a professional model where it's pay-for-play, but this new situation, it, it follows more of what the Olympics have done, if that, if that makes sense to any of you out there who pay attention to the Olympics. Olympic athletes are essentially, they're, they're considered to be amateur athletes, I know that the NBA has their professional athletes playing in the basketball tournament, but by and large, across most of the Olympic sports, these athletes are quote-unquote amateurs, but the, the Olympic organizing committee, the Olympic rules that are in place, allow Olympic athletes to be compensated for their name, image, or likeness. They can't be compensated directly for their uh, for their. A- Actions on a field or a pitch or course, whatever sport they're in, but they can be, be they can be paid for their name, image, or likeness. They can endorse products, and that's what the NCAA essentially has said that they are okay with when it comes to college athletics uh, going on into the future. Now, what it looks like is this rule. You're probably wondering, okay, how is it going to go into effect? Well, the proposals that were agreed upon yesterday or approved by the Board of Governors yesterday will not be voted on until January of 2021 when the next NCAA convention will be held. Uh, if those pass, they would go into effect for the 2021 
2021-2022 school year. So we're looking a year out at least before this is approved. But this would also get the NCAA out from under what it looks like. Uh, the, the laws that were in effect for Florida as well as California and a myriad of other states who have put in laws on their books that were going to go into effect in uh, 2021, 2022, or 2023. So this really forced the NCAA's hand. They're obviously still hoping that Congress, speaking of the United States Congress, House of Representatives, and the Senate will take up a new proposal for this and make it a federal regulation where they won't have to necessarily go state by state with the laws, with name, image, and likeness, because every one of these state laws, California's law was the first one that was passed, is different from Florida's, which is different from another state's. The NCAA, the only way they see it being a level playing field, and to think that the NCAA thinks there's going to be a level playing field even with these regulations in place is laughable, but they believe that the federal at the federal level this needs to be handled so that it covers all 50 states. It's a uniform policy on the books, speaking legal-wise, and that way they can move forward with it. Now, Let's get to what some of the details are in this. So college athletes, obviously, uh, if you believe all of the rumors, and there's no reason not to, have been being paid under the table for quite some time, if not since the beginning of time when it comes to the NCAA. But now what it is, this is going to bring a lot of the payments coming from boosters, uh, people associated with universities that have money that want to compensate athletes. It brings it above board. What it will be is these uh, athletes, let's say a quarterback in the case of BYU, think of a guy like Zach Wilson. He could, in theory, promote, uh, model, or endorse a product, a company, a uh, whatever it may be for a BYU booster and be compensated for that under this new plan. Now, the question will be how many parameters are on that versus, okay, can you make this much from that? Is it an uncapped regulation where if a booster wants to pay you a hundred grand to endorse his car dealership, is the NCAA going to sign off on that or is that too rich for their blood? It'll be very interesting to see what the new regulations officially are once they're voted on by the NCAA convention next winter. But uh, the the funny thing is, is all of this the NCAA keeps saying, well, we want to keep a playing uh, the playing field competitive amongst M- FBS teams. Earth to the NCAA, it hasn't been comp- hasn't been a pl- level playing field since you guys were even a concept that was being implemented way back when. The big dogs are still going to be the big dogs. You're thinking of Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Texas, Michigan. Those big dogs have the deepest pocketed boosters in the country, and there's no reason not to believe that they're not going to compensate their athletes more than others. Can BYU, I think, benefit from this? Absolutely. I think there are a number of BYU boosters. In fact, I know some that I've talked to that would like to invest more money into BYU athletics, BYU football in particular in some cases, BYU basketball in others, where they they don't necessarily have that money now going straight to the program, but it's going to student athletes that they have become friends with, want to reward for their play on the field. I know that reward for playing on the field, that's a very touchy term for what the NCAA is trying to negotiate here and trying to tiptoe around. But the nice part is, is there are a number of BYU boosters who would like to be more financially involved with the BYU athletic department. Well, guess what? This is going to open a new avenue for that to happen. 
will BYU all of a sudden be a wash in cash for their student athletes? I don't think so. I think there's going to be relatively few. If you look across the entire BYU athletic department, I'm thinking more BYU men's basketball and football. There will be a handful of guys who will be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. And they'll be probably rewarded handsomely compared to what they have been receiving previously. I'm not saying that BYU's been paying their athletes. I'm just thinking of all the different things. The the uh, cost of attendance where you're getting a, a monthly stipend on top of your scholarship money uh, to live on. Well, all of a sudden a booster comes in and says, son, I want to pay you $50,000 to endorse my product. Man, that's a that's a significant leap in terms of the funds that are available to you as a student athlete, particularly some of these student athletes that may be getting married very young, like they do at BYU. It could be life-changing money in many ways for them uh, as they go through the college level. So reading up on this, trying to determine where it stands, it will be interesting. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. It means that uh, will boosters be allowed to, how many, to what extent will boosters be allowed to be involved in sponsorship activities for student athletes? There's a great question there. Uh, this comes from Chris Hummer at 24-7 Sports. He had a great article. It says, there are talk of quote-unquote tiers of boosters to prevent the richest among them from overwhelming everyone else with payments. Okay, good luck with that. Also, another question of how agents and advisors will be involved in the process and how heavily under the current proposal athletes in college would be able to sign with an agent to negotiate deals, sponsorship agreements, etc. So long as those agents don't uh, negotiate professional sports opportunities for the student athlete while they're in school. So a guy like Zach Wilson, a Matt Bushman, a Kyrus Tonga, any of these big name BYU football players could have an agent the second they step on campus in theory going forward and that agent could take care of any sponsorship agreements etc the question will be how much uh, will those agents and advisors be able to be involved with the process I'm very interested in that myself. There's also uh, many questions about the guardrails. That there's a lot of talk about from the NCAA yesterday about guardrails to prevent both parties from eroding the amateurism model, which essentially avoids the pay for play. You're not being directly compensated for your play on the field. You're being compensated for modeling some uh, athletic wear for a company. You're being you're endorsing a certain car dealership. That type of stuff. That's what you're being paid for. But let's be real. We all know where that money, what that money all means. But whatever, the NCAA can say what they want. Another question that Chris Hummer comes up with: that the NCAA also hopes to establish some sort of regulating oversight on sponsorships themselves. Whoever that may be, likely a combination of athletic compliance and a third party would need to determine what fair market value would be for particular advertisements. Well, here's the deal. Fair market value ranges from state to state. Fair market value in the state of California versus the state of Utah, two different things. They're very different from a Wyoming or a North Dakota. They're very different from New York and Miami, Florida. That'll be very interesting to see how they regulate that. If it becomes, well, you can only make this much across the country, some kid in North Dakota is going to be thinking, yeah, sweet. Well, one one kid in California is going to be like, that's it? There's so many questions still to go with this, and I know I'm way over time on this uh, segment talking about this, but 
I do think that BYU can benefit very much from this. It allows student-athletes to uh, be involved more with boosters. It brings things above board. The NCAA hopes to regulate it. Uh, Good luck with that. I think it's nice that the NCAA finally made a move, even if it was reactive. They're reacting to all of these state laws being passed. California, the the, the first one to do it. Florida, also a big one, who has passed a law and put it on their books essentially telling the NCAA, get with the times or we're going to blow right by you. NCAA, as I have said in the past, and I'll continue to say, only is reactive. They're never proactive. But hey, at least they're agreeing and not digging in their heels saying, we can't do that. Guess what? You're going to have to do it if you're the NCAA. And I think a program or an athletic department like BYU, uh, uh, they can, they can, absorb this. I think every athletic department can do that. The matter of the question I think will be going forward is how long does the fallout from the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic we're all under, the economic situation, does that force a number of programs to go under or have to go down a level to maybe the FCS level and maybe that changes their ability to compensate or have boosters compensating athletes under these new NIL rules as as they're known, the proposals being put forth. We'll see. It's very interesting. It's a very hot debate right now. The NCAA, I'm glad they're doing something. I wish they would have been on top of this a little bit sooner. But the positive news is that it looks like these proposals to compensate athletes for their name, image, and likeness, as they should have been for some time now, is going to go through. And it appears that they will be benefiting from it down the road here, looking like maybe next year at the earliest. But Hopefully, sooner rather than later, student-athletes, those at BYU and beyond, will be able to get some money for their being part of a multi-billion, with a B, business, a multi-billion dollar business that brings in lots of dollars, but for some reason, student-athletes can't get a cut of it. They deserve that cut, and I'm glad the NCAA is finally doing something about it. All right, we'll stay with the football mode of things. We're going to look at another great moment in BYU sports history here in just a moment. We're going to go back to 1997 in Dallas, Texas, the Cotton Bowl, one of the more famous bowl games in BYU football history, the only New Year's bowl game that BYU's ever played in as a college football program. We'll get to that here in just a second. Before we do that, though, do need to take a minute today and talk to you about our good friends at Telechris Plasma Resources. They're located in Provo, and what it is is Telechris is a plasma donation center that goes into making life-saving medications for people with low immune systems, as well as plasma therapy for burn victims and research into additional usages of plasma, such as the COVID-19 pandemic. Griffles, the parent company that Telechris is associated with, is actively researching how plasma can help battle this virus. The proposal that Griffles put forth recently was the only one selected by the FDA and BARDA for, quote, the treatment of COVID-19 using convalescent plasma. Well, this is where you come in as a listener. Right now, Telechris is looking for donors every day. They don't have enough coming in. They're located at 651 Columbia Lane in Provo. If you know where the Chick-fil-A is, you're right in that same vicinity. Just uh, Essentially, if you go down Cougar Boulevard, which used to be Bulldog Boulevard, you cross State Street or 5th West, you're on Columbia Lane, and Telechris is right there on your left if you're going towards Orem or on your right as you come towards Provo. Really easy to find. If you know where Sweets Hawaiian Grill is, 
is one of my favorite places to eat. They're right there as well. You can call them 801-377-1243. They're open from 5.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. Monday through Friday, 5.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturdays and closed on Sunday, but they need your donations. They're open all day long and they will uh, help you guys out financially for bringing in those donations. Return donors who have been going to Talacris, and I am one of them. I used to donate back when I was in college. I need to get down there again soon. You can earn up to $475 a month. Think about that. If you've been laid off recently, you're looking for some extra cash to put into your pocket with the COVID-19 pandemic raging, etc. Well, if you're a return donor, you can earn up to $475 a month. But new donors, which is what Talacris is looking for, people that come in and donate their plasma, you can make up to $525. Absolutely great money. Really easy to do. Really laid back. The people down there at Telecrest are the best. So check it out, guys. Telecrest Plasma Resources, 651 Columbia Lane in Provo. Give them a call, 801-377-1243 if you've got any questions. Let them know when you go in there that you're a Locked On Cougars listener and let them know that Jay Catch sent you. They'll make sure you're taken care of. That's Telecrest Plasma Resources, proud partner of Locked On Cougars. Good protection, it's for Kayla Louie, touchdown. No flags, BYU on top, 3.39 to play. Kavanaugh calling the play at the line of scrimmage, 12th play of this drive as we approach the one-minute mark. Number one's got to feel like number one right now. BYU came with two linebackers on the strong side, blitzed that time. Again, Morgan steps right in front of Jimmy Dean, tips the ball to himself, and again, the biggest interception of his career. Kansas State thinking that they were going to be more physical. Well, I think they were matched today by Brigham Young University in the physical department. Time winding down. That's going to do it. 19 to 15, our final score. What you heard right there was the touchdown catch that put BYU ahead with three minutes and 39 seconds to go against Kansas State in the 1997 Cotton Bowl. And then following that, Omar Morgan's game-sealing interception right near the goal line as BYU went on to win the 1997 Cotton Bowl 19-15 to over the Kansas State Wildcats. Many of you listening to this podcast might have been in attendance at that game. BYU that season finished the year ranked fifth in the country across all the major polls 14 and 1 the first team to win 14 games it took almost two decades for another team to match BYU's win total from that season and just a magical magical year all the way around but this moment in particular New Year's Day in Dallas Texas against uh Kansas State, Bill Snyder, their head coach, they were 9-2, and ranked 14th in the national polls, and BYU scored 14 unanswered points after falling behind 15-5 to in the fourth quarter to win this game, and it was just absolutely, I think, a pinnacle for Lavelle Edwards and the BYU football program. Obviously, they had won the national championship in 1984. That was 13 years previous, and that was the pinnacle, the literal pinnacle of college football. But for BYU to finally be in a New Year's Bowl game, the Southwestern Bell Cotton Bowl Classic, as it was known back in the day, 
It was just another moment in BYU football history that is forever etched in my mind and many of those many of you listening to this podcast. Even if, even if you weren't born yet, if you're one of the, our younger listeners, you know about this game. Uh, BYU had an absolutely phenomenal outing. A lot of BYU fans in the stands at this game. The attendance for it, 71,928. If you go back and watch this game on YouTube or on BYU TV, Tim Ryan and Mike Mayock with the call. It's just an all-time classic. That was the fun part about it. Uh, Shea Muirbrook was an absolute stud in this game. I think had six sacks alone. BYU's middle linebacker was just an absolute monster on defense. Omar Morgan comes up with that game-stealing interception. K.O. Kealalui has that touchdown to put BYU ahead. James Dye had a touchdown to bring BYU within a score. Just one of those moments in BYU football history that will forever live on in BYU fans' hearts and minds because you just can't top it. BYU's only played in one New Year's Day bowl game in their football history, and it's this game. At some point, could BYU get back to playing in a New Year's Day bowl game? Sure. It's, in theory, it's, it's, it's possible, but... I'm not counting on it, I guess the easiest way to say it. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously now the offensive coordinator at Alabama, has had gr- quite the coaching tenure. He was BYU's starting quarterback in this game. Uh, Sarkeesian shared MVP honors with Kevin Lockett from Kansas State, as well as Shea Muirbrook, the linebacker I just mentioned, who had six sacks for BYU. And it just was it was one of those moments you look back on now and say, man, what a good time that was because BYU has not reached heights that those heights since and at some it doesn't look like in the near future they're going to reach those heights again and that's disappointing but I think the hope springs eternal for BYU fans and I hope all of you listening to this have hopes that BYU one day can return to those heights will it take BYU getting into the power five or being considered officially a power five program by the NCAA or the FBS uh, compatriots they have there at the level of football they compete in absolutely they need to ha- be at that level and have that so-called pathway to getting into the New Year's Six Bowl games and be able to be a part of this. But at some point, I think the hope is that they can do that. Hopefully, conference realignment comes about and BYU finally gets that opportunity to be in a Power Five. I think they'd be a great fit in the Big 12 if, if that conference wants to get back to 12 teams. Obviously, we're all kind of looking at the upcoming uh, TV contracts for uh, the conferences and how those will shake out to really see if that's going to determine if realignment takes a place. I do wonder in terms of the financial impact of the current uh, economic downturn due to COVID-19, if that's going to affect TV contracts going forward. I thought they were already going to be affected simply due to cord cutters and the like. But now with millions upon millions of people, we're upwards of 20 million people without jobs currently it's gonna be a long hard slog to get ourselves back out of this funk economically and that's going to extend to all facets of life even more so i think in a tv rights deal for a conference in college football a lot of these college football programs have been running in the red for so long that i think think i think i think excuse me that there are going to be programs who are going to have to consider cutting football, going to have to consider dropping a division to save on money. It's going to be very interesting to see how athletic departments handle the economic downturn that's coming. And then going forward, when these new TV rights deals come up, I believe the Big Ten is the first one up in 2022. Uh, The Pac-12 comes up in 2024. The Big 12 is right around that time, etc., 
how uh, TV partners like ESPN, Fox Sports, maybe even some of the streaming services, Netflix, Apple, Amazon Prime, how will they bid on this? What type of money will be out there? How much will these conferences get and how will that affect how conferences are composed and comprised currently? Could that open up a door for BYU with its national reputation, its reputation for traveling fans to games all over the country? Could that be the chip that gets BYU into the Power Five? Who knows? But looking back at this great moment in BYU football history, that at that Cotton Bowl in 1997, who knew that it'd be the last time BYU went to a New Year's Day bowl game? But the hope is that at some point in the future, BYU can get back to those heights because, man, what a fun platform it was for BYU. What a fun game as BYU rallies to win it. And what a season overall. So another great moment in BYU sports history. Of course, the Southwestern Bell Cotton Bowl Classic there in 1997 as BYU takes down Kansas State 19-15 and finishes off what was then a 14-1 record season in college football. All right, we'll put a bow on this podcast here in just a second. Before we do that, though, a reminder for you guys that listening to this podcast is really simple to do. All you've got to do is tell your smart device to play the latest episode of the Locked on Cougars podcast that way you're always staying up to date on everything going on in BYU sports news I'll say it again that we aim to be a one stop shop for all the BYU sports news you need to know about each and every day in under 30 minutes but we're also sharing insider information about the Cougars that you will not find anywhere else as well right here on this podcast each and every day so make sure to utilize your smart devices your smartphone your smart speakers tell them play the latest episode of the Locked on Cougars podcast and we will make you the smartest BYU fan in the room. All right, as we wrap up today's podcast, wanted to talk about a shift in the BYU athletic department that I think is going to have some ramifications, and depending who you are, both positive and negative. But Mike Middleton, who has uh, led the BYU Booster Club, called the Cougar Club, for the last 25 years, is leaving the BYU athletic department to join the J. Reuben Clark Law School as their assistant dean of external relations. Uh, Middleton has been part of the Cougar Club essentially since it was in its infant He's done a great job building out, I think, the infrastructure of what the Cougar Club is. I know that there's been some angst over his ability to fundraise versus accepting certain funds and just relations, I think, with donors overall. But I don't think you can look at Middleton's tenure at BYU as a failure. He did a good job helping uh, build things like the Courtside Cougars, the Touchdown Club, Cougar House, uh, building annual and endowed athletic scholarships. I believe BYU football didn't have an endowed football scholarship until the Cougar Club came up with one. I could be wrong on that, but obviously he's done a lot uh, for helping BYU build uh, facilities such as Miller Park, the Student Athlete Building, the Marriott Center Annex. So first off, congratulations and thank you to Mike Middleton for his work with the BYU Cougar Club and wishing him nothing but the best moving forward with uh, J. Reuben Clark Law School. He'll still be involved at BYU, obviously, working at the law school working in external relations with the media, etc. But I think the biggest thing is we can take away from this is now the Cougar Club has an opportunity to kind of wipe the slate clean and go about uh, fundraising and doing things in a new fashion. With the rules we talked about earlier with the new NCAA proposals for name, image, and likeness, the Cougar Club's role is going to shift as well. 
these boosters who are going to be compensating student athletes for endorsements if this proposal goes through, it's going to change how they how they donate to the university and to the BYU athletic department as a whole. So the Cougar Club now has to examine themselves and figure out, okay, how do we strategically place ourselves and make sure we still are getting the funds to fund BYU athletics at large while also being able to benefit the student athletes and making sure that everything runs smoothly. It's going to be interesting, and I wish whoever takes over this this role, this new job, luck in their new endeavors, but I hope that they can uh, navigate these choppy waters I think they're going to come in the coming days and weeks and months and years as they're trying to kind of balance things with uh, donations to the Cougar Club, etc. But I think that the biggest overall takeaway from this is the Cougar Club now has an opportunity to really look at themselves, say, look what we've done for 25 years. Can we improve certain things? I think they absolutely can. I'll leave that to your guys' imagination of what you want to see improved. I know a number of you out there are probably Cougar Club members or some of you who have not been Cougar Club members in the past due to certain circumstances. And I hope the biggest thing for me is knowing what I know about the Cougar Club. They've done great things. There's no doubt about that. They've built facilities. They've benefited student-athletes. They've done multiple things. But I still think there can be a lot done to improve BYU athletics and improve the Cougar Club experience for boosters as well. And I hope that the BYU athletic department realizes that and takes advantage of it. All right, so there you go. That's today's podcast. A big thank you to all of you who have joined us here on the podcast. It's a blast to talk with you guys each and every day. Make sure to follow the show on social media to stay up to date on the latest with the podcast as well as BYU Sports. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Locked On Cougars. My personal Twitter feed is at Jacob C. Hatch. And feel free to weigh in anytime with an email to us at lockedonbyu at gmail.com. Our first fan Friday kicks off the month of May tomorrow. Blair Red, a dedicated listener and a football coach in the high school ranks here locally, will be our first fan Friday guest host on the podcast tomorrow. If that's if you guys would like to be a guest host on it, let us know. Reach out and let us know, and we'll put you on the docket for coming weeks. But Fan Fridays are going to be a new thing here on the Locked On Cougars podcast, and couldn't be more excited to have you guys on board as a guest host here on the show. So big thank you to all of you for your continued support each and every day. Hopefully you guys are all having a great Thursday whenever you hear this, and we will talk to you guys soon. This has been Locked On Cougars for April 30th, 2020. We will talk to you tomorrow.